Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. The Great Matter by Hakuin Ekaku Zenji. From a starving man at the bun shop in poison blossoms from a thicket of thorns. Truly, there is no matter on earth that is greater than birth and death, and no achievement that is richer and fuller than leaving birth and death behind and entering enlightenment. We do not know whence life comes. Thus it is called the great matter of life. We do not know where we go when we die. Thus it is called the great matter of death. One who is able to penetrate to an understanding of life will also understand death. One who penetrates to an understanding of death will understand life. The great matter of life is like a great mass of raging fire. The great matter of death like an adamantine cage from which there is no escape. Hence it is said, birth and death is the great matter. Death arrives with great speed. Those words are extremely difficult to believe extremely difficult to grasp. They deal with a matter of greatest importance that is impossible to breach through ordinary reflection of cogitation. You followers of the way, do not despair if your progress toward enlightenment is slow. You should despair if you have trouble achieving pure single-mindedness in your practice. Do not despair if you find it difficult to enter enlightenment. Just press forward and seek it through continuous and unbroken application. The fifth segment of the one day of Rohatsu. I'm sure you have discovered by now that 
we're in an altered state. We don't have to go to Massachusetts or Colorado or California. <laughs> Doing things with what we often speak of as the left brain not so necessary, right? The only thing that seems to work is Zazen. How about that? Hi, Jifu. Welcome. So, Hakuin, Master Hakuin, for many of us, he is the quintessence of what we mean by a realized master of our time. It wasn't so long ago that he lived. He and J.S. Bach were born within a year or so of each other. Two geniuses. 1686 in Hakuin's case. And he is considered perhaps one of, if not the greatest of all Japanese Zen masters. He revived the Rinzai Zen school at a time when it had fallen into a kind of casual ease. He systematized the koan training that we continue right here, right now. He created an original koan. What is that? Hi. <laughs> Sound. One. Hand. And he developed out of his fathomless creativity ways not only to inspire fervor for the way in his monks, but ways to teach the lay people around him in the little village of Hara, where he was born, 
he was phenomenal painter, calligrapher, and he used these drawings and paintings and scrolls to inspire people who were suffering all sorts of privations in that little village and to bring the heart of Buddhism to people who otherwise might never encounter the way. I wanted to just show you a few pictures. This is what we are doing here. It's the calligraphy that he did. And can you read it? Perseverance. No matter what. Fifth day, Rohatsu. This is it. You can feel it, right? The power of that brush. Direct, like right into the vein. And this one, I'm sure, you can relate to. (laughs) 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 And here's Dragon Staff. A staff has transformed into a dragon and has swallowed the universe. Does that ring a bell for anyone? Okay. Here's something that we can also relate to. I'll read you the translation first. If you are not here for even an instant, you are just like a dead person. Are you here? Jikyo and I went on a Hakuin pilgrimage. Who else went? No? Hakuin pilgrimage? She did not go. That was in 2003. Kaz Tanahashi and I led a group of students. And we went to his temple, Shoinji, and saw amazing scrolls went to Hanazono Museum in Kyoto and various other places. 
and it was indeed unforgettable, even though you may forget who was there. Yamada Mumon Roshi, who was the teacher of Noritake Shinon Roshi, said, Japan has two things of surpassing greatness. What are they? Someone please say in a loud, confident voice. Hakuin. Huh? Mount Fuji. Very good. <laughs> towering, towering, both of them. And it was Noritake Roshi who made it possible for Dokoro Osho Shuko-san and Mio-san, who is not here, to attend last year's 250th commemoration of Hakuin's death at Hyutakuji, the temple that he founded and had his disciple Tore installed as abbot. And, of course, Soan Roshi also was abbot there, and his teacher, Genpo Roshi, Edo Roshi, trained there. So it was so significant to be with Master Hakuin at that place on that day with hundreds of Roshis and Oshos and Unsuis from all over Japan. He was a very deeply religious boy from the earliest age, very sensitive, very idealistic. And I think you referred to his going with his mother to hear a sermon on hell. No, you didn't? I, th I thought of it then while you were speaking. Okay. Sometimes it's hard to distinguish. That's what's meant by transmission. Hi. Yeah, so he went and heard this sermon by a Nichiren priest all about fire and brimstone, and hell began to have a very powerful effect on his development. The early years, it was of that sort, the, uh, the place where you get, mm, where you get lots of suffering in the fires and get beaten up. But as he matured, 
He was more influenced by the Yogacara teachings, mind-only teachings. And he himself became like Jizo Bodhisattva, the Bodhisattva who goes into hell to save beings. And this was Hakuin Zenji's true intention for us all. Because it is in the mind, isn't it, that we experience the true hell. And it is only by awakening that we can be emancipated and emancipate others. We will hear more about this in the Rohatsu exhortations to come. In any case, he very badly wanted to become a monk. And his parents said, you're too young. And years of entreaties went by. And finally, at the ripe old age of 14, he was ordained. At Shoinji, where we went. He trained there for four years and then went on pilgrimage and met with many teachers. He had what we might say was the transformation of that hellfire into burning zeal for true awakening. And this is very helpful for us if we are feeling that we have gone into some impossible hell realm to know it's because of this hell realm that we can have great realization. So maybe some of you are saying, well, then I don't want realization. (laughs) I'm perfectly happy to be bumpkin on a mat. Okay. I know it was this Rohatsu's first Teisho by Dokoro Osho that you heard about his heartbreaking disillusionment when he read about Ganto Zenkatsu being killed by bandits and giving a death shout that was said to have been heard for 10 miles around. When we are chanting morning service, Kanzeon, and then we end with That is our death shout. Completely. Combusted. (laughs) 
But Hakuin was torn by thoughts like, well, if even the great Ganto couldn't escape such a terrible destiny, what good is it to be a Zen monk? And he started doubting the path he had taken, doubting its ability to do any good, doubting his own sense of purpose. And indeed entered into what in another tradition is called Dark night of the soul. Darkness. Again. And this, it is completely and absolutely necessary for us in our endeavor here. And indeed, without that, without that plumbing of the depths, we can miss out on the wonder that are right here, surrounding us, surrounding us meaning in our own hearts, not just here. To plumb the depths of what has caused you such suffering, the realm that you have entered at one point or another that has led you here. So feeling this kind of despair, this kind of doubt, which, of course, is essential for true faith. The doubt becomes like a ball of everything that has this despair. And because of it, with a resolute spirit, with great determination, we can enter into great faith. So Hakuin, in his despair and thinking, I'm really not able to see my way through this. Maybe I should do something else. So he began 
engaging in writing, artwork. But what we heard about yesterday, that Zen monster had its claws in him. Can you feel them? This is a very visceral practice, isn't it? Is anybody here numb? You would like to be. Ah. So he couldn't get away. And he traveled to various temples. And at the age of 20, this is all going on between 14 and 20, he was at Zuyunji in Ogaki. And they were having their annual Mushiboshi Day. You know Mushiboshi? Literally, it means bug drying. In the fall, good weather, it's dry weather. And so they take out all the calligraphies and all the books and air them out in the great hall. So he was there helping out and still feeling this restlessness of the soul, this great questioning, what is my path really going to be? How can I determine what my life is for. So he thought, okay, there are all these books here. I'm just going to reach for one. I won't read the title. So he reached for a book, and he looked at it. Does anybody remember the title of this book? Spurring students through the Zen barrier. And in this book, he read about Jimyo Soen in Chinese, Juming Yuan, who would take an awl. You know what an awl is? A W L, pointed, sharp instrument. He would take an awl and jab himself in the thigh whenever he felt that he was lethargic or that the sleep demon was taking him over. They're for sale in the bookstore. Awls. Speak to Juyo later. And this was just what Hakuin needed, to read about this, being spurred to return to his initial fervor and dedication and zeal. So after reading, he walked along the inland sea back to Shoenji, 
He said, working my way deeper into Mu with every step. It was then, while in the Zendo at Shoenji, that Mount Fuji erupted. And all the monks fled, only Hakuin, just. Age 23, he went to a session at Egonji. And this is a very well-known excerpt from his autobiography. Some of you probably could recite it yourselves, but I'll read it. At around midnight, on the seventh and final night of my practice, the boom of a bell from a distant temple reached my ears. Suddenly, my body and mind dropped completely away. I rose clear of even the finest dust. Overwhelmed with joy, I hollered out at the top of my lungs, Old Ganto is alive and well. And after this experience, I became extremely proud and arrogant. Everyone I encountered seemed to me like so many lumps of dirt. So, experiencing this arrogance, a friend suggested to him, you might want to go and show your attainment to a Zen master who is really very good, named Shoju Rojin. His Buddhist name we chant in our lineage, Dokyo Etan Senji Daiosho. He received transmission from Shido Bunan Senji, right? Just the other day I was talking about him. His advice for us die while alive. Be thoroughly dead, and all will be well. So this showed you Rojin, Dokyo Eitan, said to him, Commitment to studying Zen must be genuine. Practice must be true practice. Realization must be true realization. How does that make you feel? Doubtful? Determined? Irritated? (laughs) 
So again, there's a very well-known section of his autobiography about his exchange with Shoju Hojin. The teacher asked him, checking, checking what Hakuin thought to be this most extraordinary Kensho that he had had. How do you understand the koan about the dog and Buddha nature? What is that koan? Hmm? Does a dog have Buddha nature or not? And Joshu said, no. No way to lay a hand or a foot on that, I replied. Shoju abruptly reached out and grabbed my nose, giving it a sharp twist with his hand. Got a pretty good hand on it there he said. That encounter put me into a very troubled state. (laughs) That troubled state made him more determined than ever to break through, but showed you blocked him at every turn, calling him you poor, hole-dwelling devil. Sometimes he varied it. Oh, you're just a cave-dwelling Zen corpse. So, this just in- increased his desperation and his resolve. We heard this the other day. Desperation and determination are crucial for our practice. Now, I don't want to disappoint some of you who have come here just to have a nice, relaxing time, (laughs) R&R and that sort of thing, but, but I think we all kind of feel this to one degree or another. And whatever the degree is, it's just this moment. it will change. The more you sit, the worse it'll get. The worse it gets, the more wonderful. (sighs) Wonderful. Shakyamuni Buddha, I and all beings together are perfect and complete. But to know this for yourself is why you are here. So then came time to do takuhatsu with the other monks. And everything in his mind was just swirling around. He had been given 
a koan of nonsense death. Just couldn't, couldn't break through. So Takuhatsu started. Takuhatsu, we might uh, translate as um, re respectfully offering the Dharma and receiving alms, receiving in the bowl, going through the village or the town or the city. It's still done today. And chanting. Chanting what? Oh, which is Dharma, which we will do tonight, not in Livingston Manor, but in the Zendo, with this kind of humility and this kind of true desire to receive the Dharma in whatever form it may manifest. We will do this whole chanting. When Togon and I were at Toronto Zen Center during the World Parliament of Religions, we were told that they do takahatsu there in the city of Toronto. But instead of wearing the sedge hats that keep you from knowing who it is who's giving and who it is who's receiving, they, and instead of receiving rice or whatever might go into the bowl at that time, they use their takahatsu to clean up the neighborhood, picking up plastic bags, picking up paper and other forms of trash. And that's their takahatsu. Anyway, he said in his journal, doing takuhatsu, totally absorbed in my koan, never away from it for an instant. This is what he means by continuous and unbroken application. On the fifth day of Rohatsu, I think you can feel something like this. Just, just, just. Some little wandering thought pops up. A stray wisp of cloud. never away from it for an instant. I took up a position by the gate of a house, my bowl in my hand, fixed in a kind of trance. From inside the house, a voice yelled, get away from here, you dirty monk. Go somewhere else. This is a nice Buddhist household. Oh, you think about all those monks doing takuhatsu. Maybe this person was not in a good mood. In any case, 
I was so preoccupied, I didn't even notice, he says. This must have angered the occupant because suddenly she appeared flourishing a broom upside down in her hands. She flew at me flailing wildly, whacking away at my head as if she were bent on bashing my brains out. And I was knocked over and ended up on the ground. As I came to and my eyes opened, I found that the unsolvable and impenetrable koan I had been working on was now penetrated completely right to the root. So tonight, during our whole chanting, perhaps someone will come around in the dark, <laughs> flailing wildly with a keisaku, and the lucky recipient will see brightly in that dark sendo. I'm not promising anything. <laughs> but you know, we heard about Gensha awakening when he stubbed his toe. Can you think of some other rather untoward experiences that led to great awakenings? Huh? Bokshu. Yeah, well, Umon, right? Umon went to Bokshu. Wasn't allowed in. Finally stuck his foot in the door to keep from having it shut in his face and instead got his leg broken. And at that, wow! Right in the midst of that terrible pain, great joy and liberation. Are you feeling a little friendlier toward your suffering now? Really, to welcome it. We spend our entire lives running from what will bring us this deep, deep, true peace. Instead, we run away, we get distracted, we think a little bit of this, maybe a little bit of that. Maybe I should try a Zen spa. There are a number of them now cropping up here and there. And, you know, could feel nice. Well, anyway, he went back to uh, his teacher, and his teacher knew right away. He said, something good has happened to you. I feel that. Some of you come into the Doksan room. And even you can't put words to it, right? Just. Hakuin did put a few words to it and showed you, took his fan stroked Hakuin's back 
And he said, I sincerely hope you live to be my age. Which might have been my age, I don't know. Older than Hakuin. You must firmly resolve you will never be satisfied with trifling games. This is a very important caution to have some awakening experience and not to honor it by going deeper, further, would be too bad. Now you must devote your efforts to post-satori training. How long is that training? 30 more years. And then another 30. And then another 30. So then he went on pilgrimage. And finally left his remote hermitage in the mountains to return to Shoinji and take the reins there at the request of his father, who was quite ill. And about a hundred very determined, fervent students eventually came there. And you would have had to have been very determined because it was a small temple. There was no dormitory. There were no rooms to sleep in. You had to find a little shelter outside. There was very little food. When you sat in the zendo, if it was raining or snowing, you got very, very wet and cold because the roof was in tatters. They stayed there and definitely were hungry. Not for the maggoty rice, perhaps, although they ate that because there wasn't anything else, but for Hakuin's teaching. True resolve, true hunger for the Dharma. This is Daibasatsu Zendo. Even though we are here in this beautiful building, with all the comforts we could imagine, please have that feeling of privation and desperation, and deprivation, or you cannot realize. Wonderful, perfect, and complete. Many, many lay students gathered around as well. They didn't have to live there. They lived just down the road a bit. And one of them was a young girl named Satya. I will read Satsu. Satsu was about 15 
and the daughter of one of Hakuin's cousins. She recited the Kanon Sutra, Kanzeo, every day, soon, constantly, whether she was sewing, washing, cleaning, sitting, and had a real taste one day. And she was sitting on some volumes of the Lotus Sutra in her bedroom. And her father came in and he said, what are you doing? Why are you sitting on the Lotus Sutra? And she said, what difference is there between the Lotus Sutra and my ass? Her father, not knowing what to make of this, went to Hakuin. Hakuin assured him that he could help her. He wrote out a waka poem. If you can hear the voice of a crow that doesn't caw in the darkness of night, you'll welcome the father before you were born. Remember the other day? Your parents before you were born? And told the father to hang the inscription up on the wall somewhere in his house where Satsu would be sure to notice it. When she saw it, she told her father, Oh, priest Takuin's handwriting. I'd expect something a bit better from him. When this was reported to Hakuin, he told Satsu's father, Bring her to the temple. And he did. And he asked her some questions. She responded easily, no hesitation. He gave her some koans. She pondered them, and then a few days later, completely penetrated their meaning. Hakuin then tried to assign her some additional koans, but she said she was no longer interested. And she stood firm in the face of his entreaties. Similar encounters took place in the following weeks and months. Six months later, Satsu had passed all the additional koan barriers the master had given her. Later on, she agreed to marry at her father's entreaties. And later in life, her granddaughter died. She was suffering extreme grief over the loss. An old man who lived next door came over and admonished her for weeping and wailing. People in the neighboring village are talking about you, he said. They say she practiced under Master Hakuin. She achieved Kensho. This grief over the loss of your granddaughter is excessive. Don't you think you should reflect about this? Satsu glared at the man. You confounded old codger. What do you know? My tears and sorrow 
are far better than offering her incense and flowers or lighting candles for her. You don't know anything, you old crock. The man left without another word. And it says here in this selection of anecdotes by Torre NG, that outburst was more or less characteristic of Satsu's severe and biting comments. The monks who resided at Shoenji and took their questions to her, thinking she was just an old woman, you know, like at the tea shops that we know so much about. She was just an old woman, invariably came away looking very miserable indeed. When she passed away, Hakuin's disciple Suyo remarked to the assembly, during the old master's lifetime, many people were able to attain a clear and unmistakable enlightenment. Of them all, Ohosatsu stood preeminent. Even veteran monks, men who had practiced many years, could not approach her realization. So I covered only a few years of Hakuin's life. He had the greatest enlightenment of all his many realizations at the age of 41, reading the Lotus Sutra again after having poo-pooed it as a young monk. And at last realized for himself the Buddha's words, Everywhere in these three worlds is my home. And all of its beings are my children. And when you look at Hakuin's paintings of Kanon Bodhisattva, Avalokitesvara, you just see his great compassion pouring forth. And we were told by the abbot of Shoinji that when we were there that all of those Kanon Bodhisattvas, all of the faces were the faces of his mother. So... I took the time to type out this section from A Starving Man at the Bun Shop about the great matter of birth and death. But as usual, we have run out of time. And this is indeed the great matter. As it is said, death arrives with great speed. 
far sooner than we had intended. As Hakuin says, these words are extremely difficult to believe, extremely difficult to grasp with our ordinary cogitation. How many of you know when death will come? Soon? For some of us, So just to repeat this last line or two from that starving man, do not despair if your progress toward enlightenment is slow. Compared to what? Just exactly as it is, right? Don't despair. You should despair, however, he tells us. If you have trouble achieving pure single-mindedness in your practice. So here we come full circle. How difficult it is to just get through one sitting without being waylaid by some stupid thing that we have come to believe in as important to our daily life. Pure single-mindedness. You need to despair to dispel those distractions. And he ends, just press forward and seek it through continuous and unbroken application. So if you feel you're not unbroken, you're not single-minded, think about that word, unbroken. As you return to the breath. To his breath. When will it break? When will it end? This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.